Okay, welcome back, and thank you for being here. Today is um, <laughs> actually the 26th talk. I don't know how I confuse the numbering, but on the playlist for Dao De Ching, this is, I think, 26. Uh, but it's so, whatever that is, we're looking at chapters 69, 70, 71, and very soon to complete Dao De Ching. Um, next time, 72 then 75, then 78, then 81, and a conclusion. So maybe one more month, and so by the end of February we'll be finished. And then uh, I'll see what we go, where we go to. Uh, today we have three kind of um, terse or tight uh, chapters, uh, pretty much um, related to... Um, the actualization of Taoist teaching, or going from theory to practice, uh, for the ruler, for the sage, um, and then some general comments on um, this Taoist philosophy, meaning the, the Lao Tzu or whoever wrote this explaining and an overview in chapter 71 um, how one can understand what he's offering here. Uh, anyway, you, we'll see that in all of these three today. And so we are getting close to the end, but I'm not sure how clearly these 71 chapters or 81 chapters were arranged anyway. It's not like they have a clear um, structure. The the arrangement into 81 may actually have been done by translators or um, you know, sinologists over the years, as well as um, Taoist uh, teachers and scribes that put it together over the centuries. So this is about also 2,500 years old or over 2,000 years old. And so <laughs> it's a window onto a very different consciousness and world um, world culture or or national culture China two thousand years ago. So let let's start with uh, chapter sixty nine, Weili, then DC Lao, and uh, I'll read and then comment. So Tao De Ching, chapter sixty nine, Arthur Weili translation. Quote. The strategists have the sayings, When you doubt your ability to meet the enemy's attack, take the offense of yourself. And, if you doubt your ability to advance an inch, then retreat a foot. End quote. This latter, meaning um, retreating when you doubt ability to advance. And you'll see there's some confusion here whether they're saying this is good or bad. The... the judgment of such behavior is unclear, whether it's judged as uh, wise or, or folly. So this latter, I think it means, if you doubt your ability to advance an inch, then retreat a foot, meaning if you can't do offense, then do defense. This latter is what we call to march without moving, to roll the sleeve but present no bare arm, the hand that seems to hold yet had no weapon in it, a host that can confront, yet presents no battle front. So, is it wise or unwise? Unclear. Now, the greatest of all calamities is to attack and find no enemy. I have no enemy, only at the price of losing my treasure? Hmm? This is unclear to me also. Therefore, when armies are raised and issues joined, it is he who does not delight in war that wins. So the last line obviously is very much in harmony with the Wu Wei principle, non-interference, non-obstruction, go with the flow, take the yin over the yang, um, don't contend, don't struggle, don't force, um, lead in a very mild way, and act to not disturb but gently um, support the other in their beneficent movement, in, in positive activity. And so there's a Taoist saying, and Chong Tzu said it, if it's straight, I help it along. If it's crooked, I leave it alone. If it's straight, I help it along. 
means I support what's good. And this is one of the keys in Buddhist morality, uh, which is not Taoism, but Buddhism, uh, an aspect of right speech. And we'll get into this in the Sutta Nipata for next week, talking about conscience and um, the basis of friendliness, the basis of friendship, and the basis of morality, and the basis of good karma, not bad karma, or continuing on the path, or doing what's in my long-term welfare and benefit, not hurting myself or you, the importance of conscience. Shame and guilt, meaning I'm ashamed or I feel guilty, I feel regret and remorse if I've done harm, and I don't squelch it, yeah, I regret it, I, I wish I hadn't, and I feel shame, or when I did that thing and people censured me and looked down on me, because in fact, in that case, actually, I really did wrong, or I did something I regret, you know, I have guilt and remorse for my activity, like guilt, and other people were watching, therefore I felt ashamed of me for the things I did that indeed I now, you know, see as harmful, wrong action, wrong speech, wrong action. That's shame. So uh, shame is basically publicly, um, the public witnessing of that which rightly generates guilt. The public witnessing, um, the reaction to public witnessing of my transgression, meaning my mistake, my fuck-up, my wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood, just like that. Uh, They saw it, I feel bad. I did it, I feel bad. Uh, If it's straight, I help it along. If it's crooked, meaning if there's some problem, uh, I leave it alone. And so one of the keys to right speech is encouraging the good and not encouraging the bad. If it's straight, I help it along. And and that includes or comes from an, a deep awareness that there is a right and a wrong, at least for me. And there is uh, harm versus no harm. And the Taoist is very strongly seeking to be effective or... I mean, you know, everybody's got a different position. So the sage and the ruler uh, have a different dharma to their life expression. The ruler, if he or she is benevolent, seeks to rule benevolently and make things better for the collective. The sage, if he indeed is a real sage, uh, is seeking to continue transformation of mind-body-spirit. And then, of course, be of benefit to the people around them, too. Uh, By those bases, the uh, ruler uh, and the sage can apply core Taoist principles to do what they wish to do, to affect their intentions. Um, Here we're looking at the ruler in, in chapter 69, and yet we can also um, apply this to um, as some particular guidance for interpersonal relations. And so, <clears throat> certainly to encourage the good in others is right speech. Certainly um, to help, in- help along what's in love wisdom. When I see love wisdom or truth and goodness, I'm happy. Right? That's uh, mudita, sympathetic joy. If you're happy, I'm happy. May all beings rejoice together. The third of the Brahma Viharas. Right? So if you're happy, I'm happy. Just as if you're in pain, I feel pain, which is karuna, compassion. The ruler um, uh, seeking to improve the conditions or the life of the collective, akin to the sage seeking to transform the self, akin to us, if we're... uh, kind of a quasi-sage, or (laughs) a sage in junior's ages, or training. I wouldn't use any of these titles, really, for me, but we're seeking to continue growing and make right relations. Uh, To do that, um, this first uh, section, if you doubt your ability to meet the enemy's attack, meaning if you doubt your defense, then take the offense. And if you doubt your ability to offense or advance an inch, meaning do offense and advance, then retreat more. Now, 
that can be applied in relationship, meaning sometimes it's good to just um, stop advancing. So if you doubt your ability to advance an inch, meaning in the conversation, I see this person is not listening to me anymore. I can't advance my position in the dialogue. Then take a break. Then maybe take a big break. So I might uh, tell somebody about reincarnation or something, and then they're like, uh, not literally, but they choke or uh, chortle. And then I realize, okay, they're not interested or they're not capable or it's scary or they don't give a damn. Then I retreat more. I, I might push a little and then pull back more, which is retreating a foot after inability to advance an inch. Just like that. I don't think there's a problem with that. <clears throat> Likewise, there is the case of um, doubting ability to meet the attack. Now, this is not <laughs> a, a facet of a harmonious relationship, but if somebody's coming at you with certain points, of course you have to determine whether what they say is true or not. If they're saying what they're saying is true, then let's agree on, the, on what's true. Of course, it depends on their intention, and if they really are benevolent or they just want to hurt you, if they're malicious or they're really intending for us to learn through their criticism and that it's done in a kindly way. But uh, in the case of a receiving attack, uh, if you can't, if you're, this is, you know, Sun Tzu, art of war kind of stuff, if you can't um, mount successful defense, then keep taking the offensive. That seems to be actually what the West is doing in the Middle East, is uh, they're taking pot shot offensives, um, because if it got to a real big uh, kerfuffle, um, then uh, their defenses would not be adequate. In any case, um, certainly, um, uh, if you can't do, if you can't advance, then recognize it and make peace with retreat or um, resting. And if you can't, if you can't um, move back, then it might be useful to uh, move forward. So now, as to the perspective of the writer here on these uh, strategic options um, the latter meaning if you can't advance and retreat seems to be criticized the latter is what we call to march without moving now is that good or bad retreating is marching without moving meaning you're marching backwards or you're not moving forwards but you're making a move uh, okay, to roll the sleeve, present no bare arm means prepare for action for war, rolling your sleeves up to do something, but or to fight or struggle, but um, uh, not really intending um, to to join issue, meaning to have the conflict, preparing without acting. The hand that seems to hold had no weapon in it. Is that good or bad? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if somebody has a gun and you, you know, it's like, uh, don't worry, my gun has blank, my, I don't have any bullets, but I'll show them my gun. Okay, I'll just show my gun. You know, I, I want to rob a bank and I bring a fake gun. Don't worry, I won't hurt anybody, it's a fake gun. Well, they may have a real gun, or they may have a gun with real bullets. So, I don't know, holding a, a hand that holds a weapon seems to, but doesn't really, uh, it doesn't seem like wise approach. Host to confront presents no battlefront. Um, again, is that good or bad? I don't get it. And then the final section about um, what's a problem. Um, to attack and find no enemy. Uh, it may be that this, this chapter was in reference to some very specific military strategy that was going on or that was understood by those who study things, these things uh, 2,500 years ago. And he's commenting on a Taoist approach to military strategy of advance retreat. Something like that. Uh, the greatest of all calamities to attack and find no enemy. Um, foolish attack. <laughs> attack, you know, thinking that they're against you when they're not. I mean, if you're going to attack or you're going to criticize, 
you got to be sure that you're right, meaning you're seeing things clearly. And so if you feel offended by something, it's certainly important to take a moment to do a reality check. Um, is it objectively offensive what they said or did? Or am I oversensitive? And so uh, to attack and find no enemy is to attack when there is no enemy or to think there's an enemy when there isn't. To make a friend as an enemy, to imagine uh, a neutral or a friend as an enemy. Um, and some people walk around. That's called having a chip on your shoulder, you know, or a block on your head. And basically walking around sourpuss or um, vigilant and wary, nobody's going to screw with me, um, looking for enemies that you imagine are always around when they may not be. And this line, I can have no enemy only at the price of losing my treasure. <laughs> eh? This is actually, uh, perhaps it should have been in quotation marks, meaning uh, the one who attacks and finds no enemy, the one who imagines there's an enemy and attacks, uh, is the one who believes that they are unsafe having no enemy. It's not safe to not fight. It's safe to be vigilant and to be ready to fight at every moment, is some view here, which is a distortion. <laughs> I can So meaning the one that, have, that finds enemies wherever he goes and the one that uh, attacks when he doesn't need to uh, may be the one who believes that uh, he can that it's that that if he has no enemy he's going to lose his treasure the the price paid to live without an enemy is to lose treasure this is a very strange way of thinking but actually some people believe that some super rich people you know they're always looking over their shoulder and they have to <laughs> except they have they really have enemies but but there are kindly people or a lot of other people a lot of cases where we think somebody is wronging us when they're not. Subjectively, we feel wronged. Objectively, it would be seen that they're not being wronged. And so this is some kind of old interject for some people that I must be vigilant. Uh, there must be an enemy somewhere. People wrong me. People, people will screw me. You know, They'll screw me if they get a chance. Don't let your guard down. Uh, the best defense. The best uh, defense is a good offense. That's part of what's going on in this chapter. Meanwhile, the Taoist view at the end here seems to be that it's the one that doesn't delight in war that wins. You know, the best way, uh, the only way to win the game is to not play. The only way to win is to not to play the game. From the movie War Games. So, chapter sixty-nine, DC Lao. The strategists have a saying. I dare, not I dare not play the host, but play the guest. I dare not advance an inch, but retreat a foot instead. This is known as marching forward when there is no road, rolling up one's sleeves when there is no harm or no arm, dragging one's adversary by force when there is no adversary, and taking up arms when there are no arms. So, there is, no, there is no disaster greater than taking on an enemy too easily. So doing nearly cost me my treasure. <laughs> so it's a very different translation here. Thus, of two sides raising arms against each other, it is the one that is sorrow-stricken that wins. So here, obviously, again, it's a Taoist commenting on the legalists or the strategists' theory uh, regarding attack defense uh, clearly then this is uh, the first is laying out what they say the second paragraph lays out how the Taoist sees it um, or how the Taoist can understand it theoretically the third is um, the Taoist <laughs> uh, perhaps his revelation the writer or um, a conclusion, concluding comments on the Taoist perspective on such military uh, activity or way of living life. <clears throat> uh, but it's com it's complicated whether this is good or bad. I dare not play the host, but play the guest means I don't lead. I take the I, I follow. I don't take the lead. 
somebody who doesn't assume you're going to give me, but goes to you to help you. What can I do for you? Not, I'm assuming you, you're going to serve me. And so the host is the one that, you know, the host, <laughs> it's the host's home. The guest is just visiting. And so there's, uh, <clears throat> this is a very subtle matter. <laughs> and some people uh, always take the position of host, meaning, I mean, I, I would be guilty of that sometimes, uh, coming into a group and then leading the discussion when nobody said, please lead the discussion, or taking over, or taking the spotlight. People do that. That's akin to playing the host and uh, not the guest. And he's the, it seems very much in harmony that Taoist plays the guest. Dare not advance an inch, but retreat a foot instead. So you see, uh, while Whaley says, if it's this case, um, better to do that, and if it's the other case, better to do the opposite, D.C. Lau is saying, this is the way to always be, which is not Taoist. You know, the dare not play the host, but play the guest means what? I'll always be subordinate and uh, receptive and following and uh, obedient or devoted to uh, the way of the other that is granted the position of leadership. That's not wise to be one way all the time. I dare not advance an inch, but retreat a foot instead, meaning what? Don't ever advance. So maybe there's a Taoist criticism of the people who believe that one should always be a certain way. So you see, it's all a little bit tangled, the, the meaning of this chapter. And uh, I don't want to spend a whole hour on it, um, but it, it, it certainly is associated with um, forward motion versus retreat, advance versus retreat, um, top versus bottom, or guest, uh, host versus guest, and um, being careful not to make trouble where there isn't any trouble. So I think that the it's all the first the the strategists are being criticized by the Taoist here, and the strategists uh, that say always play the guest or strategists say don't ever advance. I mean I don't think they would say that, so it's a little strange. That's why <laughs> Lao may have missed this translation here, but the idea of marching forward where there's no road, I'm going to decide even though I don't know what I really want. That's not a good idea. Rolling up one's sleeves to fight or work when there's no arm. <laughs> Meaning, I'm preparing for work or fight when I'm really incapable of it. Dragging one's adversary for force when there's no adversary. Well, how can you do that? Uh, making uh, an adversary out of a neutral or uh, forcing an issue when it doesn't have to be done. Taking up arms when there are no arms. Right? That's pretty foolish. So, this is a disaster. <laughs> Making trouble for yourself is a disaster. And most people make trouble for themselves. The, you know, the enemy, we have found the enemy and the enemy is us, said Pogo or somebody. That's true. Generally, everyone... I mean, the worst outer enemy is always the result of internal strife in mind uh, by the person. The, the internal subjective conflict... And, and a bit of self-hatred, or hatred in mind, is, is what leads to the formation of external enemies. And <clears throat> the presence of external enemies generally associated with uh, internal conflict and uh, uh, attack defense intrapsychically within one's mind. Anyway, um, the one that's sorrow-stricken wins, the one that doesn't delight in war wins... Uh, if you want to win, which is, this is then not about war, but particularly about self-transformation and relationship, right relationship, um, be careful of, Be careful about fighting. <laughs> fighting, arguing, trying to dominate, trying to coerce, trying to pull and push and pull. Uh, be careful. It can lead to a lot of trouble. So, let's go to 70. Da De Ching, chapter 70. Uh, you can make the link. 
Now this is actually the uh, it's a it's a really nice chapter here. Actually, it's very mild. And I was just reading Sutta Nipata yesterday, and talking about the virtue of being straightforward and mild. <laughs> that the the Buddhist, the monk, the well trained disciple is consistently straightforward and mild. Straightforward is wisdom. Mild is love. This is Jin in Confucian philosophy. Earnestness, uh, sincerity. Jin, the, the, the sincere, the, the superior man is, is always earnest and sincere. Straight out of Gongzi, Confucius. The, the superior man, the sage, the gentleman. Say, Confucius doesn't talk about the superior man as I Ching. The Confucius doesn't talk about the sage as do the Taoists. So the Taoist uh, speaks of the sage. <clears throat> the Buddhist speaks of the uh, monk or the true Buddhist. Uh, and Confucius speaks of the gentleman. Um, and I Ching speaks of the superior man, man, woman, whatever. So. Uh, you know, women are men too, and men are not men either. <laughs> women are men too, and men are not really men. And humans are not really humans either. Of course, what do you think you are? A human? <laughs> Please. So, uh, <clears throat> the superior man from the I Ching, the gentleman from Gongsu, Confucius, the true man without rank from Lin Chi um, is consistently love-wisdom based and love makes them mild and wisdom makes them straightforward and that together is called Zhen or earnestness or sincerity seems to me and so this is a very beautiful I mean Gongso was a great guy Confucius and um, in a very humanist he was a true ethical humanist and a deeply spiritual, non-religious, ethicist, humanitarian, social influencer, um, talking about uh, the heart of uh, right, making right relations, individually, and the family, and the state, and uh, heaven, earth, and man. And uh, straightforward and mild. And the Taoist is like that, too. So, all right, chapter 70, Arthur Whaley. My words are very easy to understand and very easy to put into practice. Yet, no one under heaven understands them. No one puts them into practice. But my words have an ancestry. My deeds have a lord. And it is precisely because men do not understand this that they are unable to understand me. Few then understand me, but it is upon this very fact that my value depends. It is indeed in this sense that, quote, the sage wears hair cloth on top, but carries jade underneath his dress. So there's outer, inner, and um, the sage appears common, wearing hair cloth on top. It's an old Chinese way, putting some cloth in the hair for some reason, tying it up, you know, some kind of a bow tie in the hair or something. This is really old. The sage wears hair cloth on top, but carries jade underneath his dress. Meaning, uh, keep your lamp under a bushel, as in the New Testament. Or, um, don't wear your heart on your sleeve. <laughs> or, really, um, appearance and substance, or appearance and um, the deeper reality don't have to be the same. And for the outer appearance, um, mild and ordinary and nothing special um, is fine. Um, to try to distinguish, you know, <laughs> it's the way of adolescence to wear costume. I mean, I used to have cowboy boots and even a hat for a short time and a vest and army pants and a this thing and that thing and hiking boots or whatever the heck I was thinking at that time for about six months in high school. You know, it's adolescent to garb yourself. I mean, it's fine. Go right ahead. But 
um, the pleasure and fulfillment from that is pretty shallow um, and dies fast or distinguish uh, disintegrates kind of fast the the sage is not really concerned about um, drawing attention to himself not at all but Harry has something precious and beautiful hidden within so the words are easy to understand not all of them uh, easy to put into practice uh, I don't know <laughs> It's it's a matter of being able to take a break and take a rest and don't keep pushing to really relax. Can you really relax and rest and stop forcing? Can you really flow in the natural? Uh, that's the hardest thing for most people, actually. And so he says his words are very easy to understand and put in practice, and that's the point in this. Um, that's where the original comes from meaning in the original characters we're talking about knowing and doing this is about knowing and doing mind and body about view or understanding and action or practice so there's you act correctly when you know truth <laughs> when you know correctly or you know what's what uh, that's the usually the best way to act uh, rightly or harmoniously or evenly without discordant Samma, right action, uh, samma action, meaning right or even or harmonious or non-discordant action. Uh, he says, <laughs> easy to understand, easy to put into practice, meaning knowing and doing, but nobody understands them. So if it's so very easy uh, to know and do, why is it that nobody understands and does? No one understands them, my words, no one puts into practice or does. Why? Um, this is a very, this is the heart, <laughs> the pith explanation of why spiritual people are not understood. They're not understood, and any guidance they, or we, or some great teachers may give are not acted upon. Why? Because the words and deeds have, um, they, they have ancestry and a lord. Ancestry means a lineage. This is not coming out of my fantasy or my um, scatterbrain, harebrain, pea-brain mind. Um, these words are the Taoist words, and the Buddhist words are Dhamma, Buddha Dhamma, or the wisdom of Confucius, and the wisdom of the I Ching, and the wisdom of Dao Te Ching, and uh, the wisdom of Lin Chi, and all sorts of great teachers. They're... they're words they're speaking has comes out of a lineage they had teachers and their teachers had teachers and their teachers had teachers teachers on back 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 and the deeds have a lord meaning there's a guiding there are guide there's a light motif there's a guiding principle the logo stands behind it the logo stands behind the words and deeds uh, truth objective truth how do i know it is because it is because of it is a common taoist phrase we've seen how do i know this is so because of it how do i know Tao? because of Tao. <laughs> what's that tautology uh how do i know this because it is now that's totally unprovable you can say it's solipsism you can say it's tautological uh but um, it is what it is, or, you know, such as making a claim, such a claim is made. I know it because it is. Okay, fine. And some, most people will say, well, you know, have a good day. But uh, I believe that's also true. <laughs> and so, um, the, you know, the Tathagata, or Gautama was called the Tathagata, meaning the thus come one, the such come one, the one who just came. There's a term, Tathata, suchness as it is nas. So when you wipe away opinion, what do you have? <laughs> when you wipe away thought, what do you see? Well, you see what is prior to interpretation. Uh, even that's an interpretation. And so uh, can we see what is uh, prior to interpretation? Of course. But once you put words to it, you've lost it, right? The Tao that can be named is not the constant Tao. The, the way that can be spoken or named 
is not the true constant essential Tao. So reality is as it is prior to interpretation. That's called ontological essence or nature, true nature. Uh, and <clears throat> um, there is, you know, reality is that which um, is, is stands is the basis of interpretation. Is the basis of nama rupa or name, particularly. So we interpret what? What are we interpreting? Can you know it without interpretation, <laughs> without naming, without labeling, without naming activity? Hmm. And so, uh, prior to naming activity, there's a lord and a deed. Prior to the Taoist speaking, <clears throat> um, there's a lineage of reality. <laughs> or reality, his knowing reality, is the lineage from which the words issue. And the reality, prior to interpretation, uh, knowing that, is the lord of his activity. And nobody knows that. Precisely because men do not understand this, the ancestry and the Lord, the lineage, not just particularly, this was my teacher and he was there, and that was his teacher and he was there, not that. Uh, understanding the essential metaphysical or spiritual, I'd say, and spiritual ancestry and Lord or uh, ruler or source of his words, which is his view his understanding, and his deeds, which is his practice. And so, um, reality is the Lord <laughs> of right view. And right view is the basis of right action. And I'd say that's akin to the why his words having ancestry and deeds having a Lord. And because nobody knows what the fuck that means, they're unable to understand him or me actually. So it seems. Few then understand me. How intimate. But it is upon this very fact that my value depends, meaning it's valuable that they don't understand me. That's true. It's, it's important that the teacher is not at the same level as the student. <laughs> if you want a source, you've got to find a source that knows more than you do. I'm not saying I do. I'm saying that's what I do. I go to this because this guy knows more than me. And got... Ooh, fire act, firecracker action. And, um, <laughs> or confirmatory fireworks display. Uh, you know, that is the, 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 the taproot of discernment wisdom is consistently going to the wise and worthy Ow. for guidance and to learn what's in my own, you know, to my own best, my own long-term welfare and benefit and not what's to my long-term benefit, what's not? Going again, 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 again to those that really know more than us is the way of uh, pulling ourselves up the ladder. How else could it be, could be done? <clears throat> it's firework action here. So, um, it's upon the very fact that few understand him that his value depends. Meaning, you know, there's a light in the darkness. I mean... If there wasn't darkness, there'd be no value for having a light. The purpose of light is to light the darkness, or the value of light is that there's pre-existing darkness. You know, in conditions of darkness, light is valuable. If there was no darkness, there'd be no need for light. It would all be light. We wouldn't even call it light. But down here in the ground, under the veil, in this world of 3D repeaters and the confused and the deceptive and the thoughtless, the blind leading the blind, well, how about the deceptive, willfully deceptive blind leading the uh, chronically thoughtless blind. Dup. Seems to me that's the story here. Or part of the story, not the whole story. Um, so it's valuable that the darkness doesn't understand the light. It's valuable that, that, the, ac that, that the motion doesn't understand motionlessness. <laughs> because motion needs stillness and light and dark needs light <clears throat> and thus, it's important that people don't understand their teachers, because it, it may well be that those teachers know more than they do. Anyway, it's indeed this sense that the sage wears hair cloth on top, but carries jade underneath. And so, 
um, the sage looks kind of common. That's how people look commonly. I mean, you see old Chinese paintings, they had some kind of hair cloth. But <laughs> there's this precious jade, something beautiful, hidden within. And um, <clears throat> like the Tao Te Ching is uh, precious internally. Okay, DC Lao, Chapter 70. Okay. My words are very easy to understand, that's knowing, and very easy to put into practice, that's the doing. Yet no one in the world, in this world, can understand them or put them into practice. Words have an ancestor and affairs have a sovereign. It is because people are ignorant that they fail to understand me. Those who understand me are few. Those who harm me are honored. Therefore the sage while clad in homespun cloth, conceals on his person a priceless piece of jade. <clears throat> I think Lao is falling behind in these translations as we get to the end, but uh, it probably was hair cloth and jade, not a priceless piece of jade or priceless that w or something. The original was probably closer to hair cloth. You know, these translators, they think you can't understand <laughs> the words. It's homespun. Yeah, homespun. Uh, well, what do you mean? From uh, Little House on the Prairie? No, it's actually hair cloth. <laughs> it's uh, Chinese hair cloth and jade. That's all. Not a priceless piece. It wasn't... Of course, if jade... If you understand what jade meant, you know it's priceless or it's valuable. And so, anyway. Um, the words... Um, and the means of actualizing them are not that difficult to comprehend and perform, is the view. Uh, I mean, I think actually some of the Taoist teaching here is very difficult. <laughs> but <clears throat> uh, how to put them into practice, he's, he's really saying uh, Wu Wei, <laughs> effortlessness, non-interference, non-obstruction, non-forcing, right? The crystallized healer has no will is not willful. Um, the Taoist uh, meaning is understood when uh, obstruction is removed. And activity is, or, or that meaning is put into practice uh, correctly um, by a, an elimination of all that's not necessary. An elimination of the extraneous. What's, what is excessive, unnecessary, uh, if it's crooked, I leave it alone. What's crooked and has been left alone and falls away uh, leaves us quiet and leaves us in the essential. And by that, I would say, then it could be said that these Taoist words are easy to understand and easy to act upon. But nobody gets it. <laughs> so even then, the the spiritual person was lonely in society. 2,500 years ago. How about that? Even then, the wanderer or the spiritually minded person or the seeker was a kind of left home person or homeless or a wanderer or um, a stranger in a strange land uh, and not, not um, well accepted in society. Society is very materialistic, very control or attack defense based very ambitious, and small-minded, generally. I mean, what are they trying to achieve, right? <laughs> I want a, a mansion in the yacht. I'm Elmer J. Fudd. And so, they want stuff. And that's it. I mean, stuff is fine if you have something to do with it. They want to get it, and what they have to do, how they see what much most... Certainly ambitious. Most people are actually not ambitious, but <clears throat> the, the uh, happily ambitious... Are, are strictly materialists. And as we saw yesterday, they are annihilationists. They believe in their own impending annihilation. <laughs> what a funny group of souls here. Materialism is annihilationism. <laughs> because there's no view of an enduring soul or being that goes on beyond the body's demise. So, yes, words have an it. <laughs> I live in Taiwan. <clears throat> Taiwan is a strange place. We have many strange creatures. 
one of my best friends is um, uh, Mr. Plaster Bagworm. I call him Chester Bagworm. Mr. Plaster Bagworm looks is the color of plaster and looks like a little piece of lint. Actually, he's alive within the uh, oval or oblong flat, you know, quarter inch that is furry. It's just a quarter inch long. And he's actually a worm inside that plaster looking bag. So his name is Plaster Bagworm. And I call him Chester Bagworm. You see them hanging from ceilings periodically. <laughs> and I found him. It's, a, it's the weirdest thing you've ever seen. It's a creature that has no arms and no legs. He has. He just fell off the table. He just pulled himself out. He pulled himself and his bag off the edge of the table after pulling himself out of the ashtray. <laughs> He's a quarter of an inch. No arms, no legs, no head, no tail. It's just a, a little furry plaster-colored bag with a worm inside it. And I call him Chester Bagworm. If anybody wants to use a character named Chester E. Bagworm, go right ahead. It is very strange. So he just crawled out. He pulled his bag out of the ashtray and onto the floor. So there you go. <clears throat> uh, uh, it is because people are ignorant that they fail to understand me. Those who understand me are few. Those who harm me are honored. And so, you know, <laughs> they killed Yeshua, right? So how much less appreciation do you expect? Should you expect? Should you rightly expect? If they killed such a great being, uh, how much appreciation should we expect <laughs> in a society that killed a greater one than us? Mm -hmm. So, um, the sage cloud in homespun, really. You see, that? that's just wrong. It's a hair cloth on top, I think. And so there's the outer and the inner, and um, don't forget that people um, may, may really not want to hear what you have to say. It may be very upsetting. Again, I watched the movie The Man from Earth, Jerome Bixby's film. Worth watching strongly, The Man from Earth, part one. Uh, people really don't want too much truth if it upsets their emotionally supported or emotionally satisfying beliefs. So, <clears throat> but this other, the deeper point here is that words have an ancestor and affairs have a sovereign or an ancestry to right view because right view comes out of a, 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 an appreciation of reality and an appreciation of what's truly best and in our own highest and best good. And there is something behind it. There is, there is something very important behind the teaching of <laughs> right, uh, right living on the spiritual path or the way of soul evolution. And so that's very critical. And nobody knows that, really. <clears throat> they really do think of God as some guy they, they really think of God as a gender <laughs> you know God is the original transgender God is supra gender way beyond that of course and so you know it's a very backward I mean humans do many things well um, but in terms of thinking straight and knowing reality they, they can hardly do that at all then 71 super short 71 Tao Te Ching. What's our time check? 49. Okay. Uh, 15 minutes. Tao Te Ching, chapter 71. Arthur Whaley, translation. Starts with a quote, or the whole thing starts with a quote and doesn't have the other end of it, so whatever. Tao Te Ching, chapter 71. To know when one does not know is best. To think one knows when one does not know is a dire disease. Only he who recognizes this disease as a disease can cure himself of the disease. 
the sage's way of curing disease also consists in making people recognize their diseases as diseases and thus ceasing to be diseased. So the key <clears throat> to healing or cure is to realize you're sick. And so Gautama as the great physician. Um, the medicine Buddha. It's not the medicine Buddha. It's Gautama teaching reality uh, to cure our uh, ignorance and pain. The, the existential disease of incarnation in the octave. <laughs> incarnation in the octave as an ontological metaphysical disease mechanism based in avidya and restlessness and conceit fetters 1098 driven by craving and clinging attachment and three poisons not seeing the three marks and essentially uh, experiencing continual sukha dukkha and dukkha dukkha sukha dukkha and dukkha dukkha that's uh, Austin Powers, if you remember, Dr. Evil did that. He's the king of Dukkha, 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 Dukkha. <clears throat> and so, or one of the minor minor viceroys. Uh, but it's true. <laughs> you know, experience is Dukkha, Dukkha, and Dukkha, Dukkha. That's it. There's the eight worldly winds, four of which are Sukha, Sukha, Dukkha, and the other four are Dukkha, Dukkha. Like, you know, pleasure and gain and praise and honor sukha or sukha dukkha because it all ends and it's complicated and uh, the reaction to it ends and the experience of it is quite transitory and ephemeral then the four unpleasant worldly winds uh, pain loss blame and dishonor one way of putting it all dukkha dukkha no sukha there although we can learn from it so <clears throat> the one who recognizes they have a problem is the one can fix it the one that realizes there's work to do evolves on the path if they <laughs> act upon their knowing that there's work to do so to know when one does not know is the best I mean, in my view the wise are those who know how little they know the fool this is a world full of fools you know the fool thinks he, he, she, knows much when they know very little, or thinks they're complete when they're not. Um, so don't be a fool. And to know how little one knows is best. <laughs> not, I mean, I know, maybe I know something, but compared to what can be known, it's tiny. To know when one does not know is best. To know when one has disease if one has disease, is best. To know where one is stuck, if one's stuck, is best. To know the reality of your condition, is best. <laughs> to see reality clearly, is best. So, going on, D.C. Lao. To know, yet to think that one does not know, this is a different translation, a different angle here. To know, yet to think that one does not know, is best. Hmm? Not to know, yet to think that one knows will lead to difficulty. <clears throat> it, is be, it is by being alive to difficulty that one can avoid it. The sage meets with no difficulty. It is because he is alive to it that he meets with no difficulty. Very different <laughs> translations here. So, um, certainly we can say from Whaley when one truly doesn't know it's good to know that I don't know uh, and when one truly doesn't know to think you're knowing is a big problem a dire disease with two D's uh, likewise or, or you know as Lao put it not to know yet to think that one knows you don't know and you think you know leads to difficulty is a dire disease is needs to be cured cured by uh, awareness. <laughs> so, nescience, nescience, like a horse, nescience, nescience, N-E-S-C-I-E-N-C-E, -E -E, I think. Nescience is sort of a darkened mind unknowing. Is um, knowing, acknowledging that is the first step, or, a, you know, a critical step to wisdom. 
it's not like we're all on the first step or anything, but <clears throat> to know how little we know, I think, is critical. And, I mean, it's like in relationship, somebody says something, somebody does it, your partner, your friend, your family member says something, does something. You have an emotional reaction and a belief that you understand what's happening. Is it true? <laughs> Do you ever question whether what you think is true is really true? This is um, epistemological um, authenticity. <laughs> Epistemology, study of knowledge, uh, honesty, or authenticity. Um, generally, much of what we believe is true, we haven't checked carefully to really uh, determine certainly is true. Much presumption, much assumption, and then much of that's unconscious. And that's where we get early wounding and imprinted pain, Arthur Janov's model, From Pain to Release, the series, where old trauma and violation and emotional uh, disappointment or hurt or grief from unmet needs in early childhood, and then, you know, <laughs> building on the carry-through from past lives, leads to distorted sense of self, leads to all sorts of uh, deformed, uh, mistaken assumptions. I'm always on the bottom, or I'm essentially better than everybody, but nobody appreciates me, nobody can love me, nobody is good, or I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm this or that, and that's all. That's just the way I am. That's not true either. That's the way I am now, but mine can change. And so all sorts of confused assumptions that are unconscious. <clears throat> um, I can't stand it. It's unacceptable. It just cannot be. Uh, I don't want to stray into the fetid swamp of politics too much. The fetid swamp of politics. Amaganda. Amaganda. That's what we looked at Sutta Nepata yesterday. Amaganda is the stench of rotting flesh corrupting flesh, carry-on odor. Politics, human politics, yeah. Uh, but um, there is recently uh, a material came out showing somebody who's a fanatic type saying, if you call for the death of others, um, don't, ex you know, don't be surprised if violence comes at you. Well, that's true, but that doesn't justify violence. It's just inevitable that, yeah, if you talk violent, uh, violent action will come. If you talk about, you know, genocide that group, then somebody may beat you to the punch and take you out first. True. But his view was something like, that's unacceptable. You can't talk that way. And, and then, therefore, we can kill you, is his view. Not my view, his view. And so <clears throat> that's just some basic assumption that we can't allow that kind of free speech. It must be shut down. And then, of course, who determines when there's a transgression of politically correct or acceptable speech? And just, just let's go on and on. It's not speech that's um, commanding violence. It's maybe just speech that gives that person's distorted uh, racism or sexism or view. But this whole notion that, that it cannot be, it's unacceptable, um, even that is often mistaken because one can learn to accept the unacceptable. 2150 book said, the measure of a mind's evolution is its ability to accept the unacceptable. There's truth to that. Some things that we consider unacceptable, we may grow up and realize, you know, I could accept that. I, I, can, I can accept it. And that doesn't mean I like it, maybe. It anyway depends on the case. But there's all sorts of uh, unrecognized assumption that people carry with them. And it's very harmful. And that is I, often a case of thinking that they know when they don't know. Thinking my way is right when they don't know they're unrecognized or they don't know their assumptions. And so that's a disease. The only way to cure yourself of the disease is to realize I have a disease, which is Buddhism. <laughs> we are the cure. You are a disease. And we are the cure said Agent Smith. And so, <clears throat> I don't do such a good Agent Smith. Uh, 
but it is that that's that's you know Gautama as the great physician and humanity or souls in the octave as um, sick <laughs> or wounded or uh, in perpetual distress or stress or difficulty yeah that's called dukkha um, very few people want to accept that or admit that <laughs> that all sukha is dukkha that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it you know it's like I'm talking here I feel pleasure or well-being talking that's sukha I don't feel the dukkha but it's because um, it's green, blue, indigo, sukha, dukkha. There's green, blue, indigo, sukha, dukkha, and there's red, orange, yellow, sukha, dukkha. Know the difference. And so higher well-being, heart, uh, mind, and spirit versus physical, emotional, intellectual, interpersonal, social. Higher versus lower or higher and then lower, uh, the pleasures of either are different. And so the dukkha, the sukha-dukkha mix is different, meaning pleasure or happiness and distress or dukkha. So it's by being alive to difficulty that one can avoid it. This, uh, I think, I don't know where Lao got that out, but um, and it's because he's alive to it that he meets no difficulty. Uh, to say the sage has no difficulty... Um, is the completed sage. Does Gautama have no difficulty? You see, he doesn't even think that way. You know? We think um, high evolution equals no trouble. Well, I think that the mind of those who are really completed um, doesn't have much attachment to the, to the polarity of uh, no trouble, trouble trouble, no trouble. They're not thinking that way. They're not, you know, it's like their grace comes by um, being purified in, in body-mind speech, not by practicing certain body gestures. <laughs> their body grace, or body gesture, movement, harmony, gentleness, peace, um, smooth operation, wellness, beauty, doesn't come because they're practicing it that way to get that. It comes from as a consequence of deep transformation of mind. So likewise, I don't think the sage or any great being thinks, I meet with no difficulty. I'm walking around and I'm well. I have no difficulty. And if we think that way, usually the people who talk that way um, are in denial and avoidance <laughs> of the fact that they have more angst or distress than they're willing to acknowledge. So let me, where are we here? All right, 102. That may be um, where we end for today. Uh, uh, particularly, I would just say that this chapter 71 um, is very important <laughs> for being honest in, in terms of honestly acknowledging um, what we know and what we don't know. Just that will put you ahead of a lot of people. <laughs> Just that is something that's not too difficult to achieve, to recognize. I know very little, <laughs> and everything I know is a drop in the bucket compared to what I can know, and... Um, I really do want to check my assumptions and check my interpretations and opinions based on what I think, you know, what based on my perception. Perception is the basis of conception, right? We perceive a world outside ourselves, so we conceive subject-object dual, dual, duality, dualism. I see I am not that tree outside my window, right? So I is here in or of this body looking out over there, that thing over there. I'm subject, that's the object. That's the perception that leads to the conception or the conception based on perception. Then that's an experience. So you experience the conceptions of your perceptions. So David Icke talks about perception management. That's true. Uh, I think it might be more so conception management, but uh, no doubt... <laughs> this human matrix is a control grid but 
um, when perception changes, so does conception and experience. And so, with with eyes to see, means purified perception that leads to um, accurate, honest, truth-based, reality-based uh, conception. And therefore, our experience is in harmony with Tao and Tao the, with source and reality. Source is reality. Reality is the source. Or what is uh, beyond naming activity, what can be known beyond naming activity. We can know what is ta-ta-ta, suchness, beyond naming activity. Um, and acknowledge that all of our naming activity is relative and partial and uh, distorted to some degree. You know, the finger is not the moon. The moon is the moon. And the finger and the discussion of it is separate. So, anyway. <laughs> um, making people, helping people recognize their diseases as diseases, they are helping to be ending, to helping to be cured or we move through uh, uh, those diseases. Very important. <laughs> So next time we'll go to 72, and uh, so it'll be 72, and then 75, and then 78, and then 81, so four more classes, I'd say. I may end up doing long reading of the one or both translations and just read through the Dao Te Ching with no commentary. Big challenge for me. Uh, we'll see. So anyway, thank you for being here. Uh, I hope it was useful. It's certainly, I think, beautiful teaching. Take good care of yourselves, and good night. <laughs>